When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, <laughs> badly morning, badly, badly. Yeah, I think so. Mm. It's, it's sadly a badly morning. Mm. Uh, yeah, I feel uh, slightly like I've been beaten up. <laughs> Yeah. That's how it feels a bit this morning. I do know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. I just want to say before we crack into this podcast, which is unlikely to be one of the cheeriest podcasts we've ever created, thank you to everyone for listening and for being here and for um, sharing in this difficult, dark time in Arsenal's history with us. Uh, we know it's not easy. Uh, it's very hard to look at what's going on at the football club right now and feel anything other than real disappointment or fear or anger or, you know, there's a, a myriad emotions that Arsenal fans are going through at this moment in time. And I'm not here to tell anyone their way is the right way or the wrong way or anything like it. But we really do appreciate you being here on the podcast and sticking with us while things are bad. They will come good again at some point. That's the way it goes. It's mm. circular. It's cyclical. It's the circle of football life. It might take a while, um, but we'll keep plugging on until it happens. Yeah, we might have to keep plugging for some time, like you say, but we'll do our best. Yes, thanks for listening, sticking with us. And um, we'll do our best to, I don't know, I was gonna say keep, I was gonna say keep it light, but I think that feels a bit unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, perhaps it does a little bit, but you know, um, I, I, I I'm more confident perhaps than people might like to think, or perhaps that people expect. And do you want me to tell you why that is? Uh, yes, please. Okay, I I do believe that we have a very good plan. <laughs> That's basically what much stronger next year to deliver the success that we're all hoping for. Mm. So we have a very good plan. Very That is very true. Be excited, Andrew. You should be excited. <laughs> um, where to start with this? I mean, I guess last night's game. We yes. Have to... La uh, I mean, last night's game um, uh, was a, a new low, I thought. I mean... It, I'll start with something which really surprised me, which is that it still wasn't full. And I know there were some rail issues, but when the game started and I saw there were kind of as many empty seats as there had been in some, not the Frankfurt game, mm. but some of Uno Emery's final games, that um, worried me in itself. I was like, not even uh, a club hero having his first home game is enough to get everyone 
back in the stadium and back on side. I mean, that's that says something in itself. I yes, think. I think that's that's a fair point to make. Um, and I guess uh, the team. I thought theoretically. I know that you know people have some concerns, but in a from a personnel perspective, I thought maybe would assuage some of the worries. I mean, mm. you know, people were very alarmed that Mustafi started the first game. He didn't. Uh, Torreira was in, which is something people have been calling for. So, you know, in some Bellerin was back. I, I was. Uh, I made the mistake of being quite optimistic before the game. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. But, you, but did you not as well? I mean, I think everyone surely thought Brighton, you know, oh, no, if no, we're no. going to win a game, surely it's this one. Listen, I, I did have my optimistic hat on. I, I looked at the way we played in the opening half against Norwich and thought if we could replicate that, then, you know, we'd have a good chance of, of winning this game. Mm-hmm. I didn't really react to the team news in a positive way or negative way um, online anyway. I find it uh, it's a discussion that I just can't get into, you know, the, the um, delving into the team selection before the game because you could say, well, that's ridiculous. Why has he picked that guy? And then that guy goes and does something and, you know, um, you, you kind of, you know, you've got egg on your face. But I, I sure. did have some concerns about the, the team. I, I think... The selection of Mustafi the other day is a frightening thing mm. in general. You know, I think it was Freddie's way of doing the only thing that he thought he could do with the centre of his defence based on what he's got available to him at this moment in time. It looks like Rob Holding is is not available. Um, um, and Mustafi just sort of reminded everybody of why he wasn't in the team in the first place but it's it's illustrative of how poor the other two have been I'm, I'm sure we'll come to them in a, in a little while I don't get Kolasinac over Tierney I'm sorry I just don't understand the thinking behind that one um, unless there is some kind of an injury or some kind of fitness issue with Tierney that we're not aware of. I know he did have that big injury in the summer, but he didn't play against Norwich, so I was fully expecting him to play um, against uh, Brighton last night. Mm. And I'll go back to what I said to you on the on the podcast on Monday. I don't think Lacazette and Aubameyang starting together, even at home, provides us with the kind of balance that we need to be an effective attacking team and it sounds weird because Lacazette scored our goal but he was awful last night and Aubameyang was pretty awful as well on the right hand side so there's some mitigation for that so I had concerns about the balance of the team I liked the idea of Torreira and Jacket in there but I thought with a front three um that was better balanced with runners either side of, of Aubameyang, I would have been happier with it. You know, it's not to be Captain Hindsight and say, well, I told you that wouldn't work or anything else, but um, th- those were the concerns I had about the team. Yeah, I mean, no, in fairness to you, obviously we talked about that after the Norwich game, uh, and I agree, Lacazette had a really bad night, and his goal, it's worth saying, did come from a set piece, as did both Aubameyang's goals at the weekend. Mm. So it's not as if what we're doing is working brilliantly in open play. Um, 
you know, we created a, a few decent chances last night, but nothing like as many as you would expect with... I, I'm going to say players of that calibre, although, you know, I, I am questioning the calibre of a lot of these players as well. I, I think that's not unreasonable. We do have a discussion to get into with the players, and I'm going to come to that a, a bit later on. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is a multifaceted issue that we're we're faced with at this moment in time. And, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen the stats already about how this is our worst run since 1977. I don't mm-hmm. remember it because I was six and yep. you didn't have football on the TV then. Um, I was minus nine. Wow. Um, so I don't remember it either. Wow. Uh, it was a good summer, though, if I remember. Summer of 1977, there was a bit of a heat wave. Was it the Queen's Jubilee year? Could have been. I have, been. I have that vague recollection. I think I had chicken pox as well. Wow, big summer. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot going down. on. A lot going on, um, along with Arsenal's worst run. So... Um, Let's talk about what the lifeless performance in the first half, why it was. Yeah. I mean, Freddie said it afterwards. He said, you know, um, I can't remember his exact words, but it was basically like... Uh, we didn't play, uh, yeah, something like that. The main thing is we didn't show up in the first half. And I, like I watched the training videos, and I know you can get a false impression of things from the training videos, but they looked positive and energetic. And, and you know, there are times where you think, okay, players aren't into it. They're not interested. I didn't get that vibe, really. But it was very disjointed. Brighton um, didn't have any fear. They didn't have any fear when they came to the Emirates. And, um, you know, it, it, it just wasn't a good half of football. No, they they did they did play without fear, and I think uh, probably some credit has to go to their manager for that, who has massively changed their approach in a very short space of time. Mm. Uh, but also that speaks volumes about us and the state we're in. And look, it's really difficult because it's so hard to measure or put some kind of metric to, but. We just have no confidence at the moment at all. I mean, these players are on the floor. They are performing close to sort of the bottom level of their plausible range, in my estimation. And uh, that is a very difficult thing for anybody to fix. There's an old Arsene Wenger quote, isn't there, about confidence that leaves very quickly and it takes a a very long time to come back. Mm. And I think the unfortunate thing is when you change a manager... I think we all thought, well, that will provide some sort of upturn in morale uh, or confidence. But thus far, two games in, it doesn't seem to really have done that to any great degree. No, no. I mean, I think it's fair to say that there is no confidence in the team individually, collectively, etc., etc. Yeah. And, and no, for my money, not much spirit either. I I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I saw things last night that I really didn't like. Mm. I, I didn't like when Aubameyang went mental at Joe Willock for that pass. Like, I think Joe Willock was, was not quite as bad as some people said in that first half. Um mm. But he tried to play a clever pass inside the defender, which I think Aubameyang should have 
red because it's uh, it's the kind of pass you do make if you want to you know get forward and play with some some ambition. I didn't think the captain like coding off a young player for actually trying something you know was the right way to go. And you know you're right. There's not a great deal of togetherness um, and, and these are unquantifiable things obviously there are there are um, tactical issues and there are issues with balance and what have you but the lack of leadership genuine leadership another unquantifiable of course but it's it's um, it's so blindingly obvious isn't it everybody's looking to to somebody else to provide the inspiration or the, the the moment or the the cajoling or whatever it might be mm. it's a team that's that's very low on on those qualities it is yeah it is it's low on organization it's low on support for each other i mean yeah it, it does feel like 11 guys whoever are out there who i mean yeah I, Tactically, under Unai Emery, they look like strangers, but sort of emotionally as well, there just doesn't feel that bond that you see in good teams, great teams. And you mentioned Aubameyang having a crack at, at Willock. There was, you know, Urza and Lacazette were having words with each other at the end of the game, heading down the tunnel. Um, there were signs of this, I thought, at Norwich too. It's just not a happy camp. Uh, and it's not as if what's happened with the manager has sort of fostered a kind mm. of us against the world, you know, backs to the wall spirit. Um, it, it hasn't done that at all. If anything, it seems to be kind of deepening the divides. And one thing I want to say is, look, I know we're two games into whatever Freddie's doing. And he was very keen to point out after the game, we're in about three full training sessions into mm. whatever he's doing. So... I don't for don't by any means mean to say it will never get better or he can never make it better but where we are now it is still uh in, in a downward trajectory. Yeah, look and um I'm not here to be critical of Freddie Jumberg after two two games or anything like that. Um I just was struck last night at times by how badly organized we were mm. as a team, just in terms of the basics, general mm. shape, where were players playing towards the end of the first half. I think we had Torreira pushed way forward. Shaka was maybe back covering for one of the central defenders. Bellerin was over on the left-hand side. Socrates was nowhere to be seen at one point. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you can make your own minds up. But just general shape, things that are, are I'm going to say they're simple, but they're the basics of the basics of uh, of team and team organization, they just weren't there. And I don't know that that's something that Freddie Jumberg has ignored. I do wonder if in the current funk that we're in, players are in, in perhaps trying to put things right or take some responsibility or make things happen. They're doing so at the expense of, of just the basics. Maybe, maybe. But I mean... A far bit from me to sort of tell anyone how to do their job, but is it not sort of football wisdom that when things are going badly, it's the basics you go back to, yeah, the do, basics you rely yeah, on? Yeah, make keep things simple, keep things yeah. simple. Um, you know, there are few things you can really properly control in a game of football or or whatever, but you know where you stand on the pitch. 
how quickly you get back, how hard you work um, within the framework of the the system that the coach has picked on the on the night. Those are those are relatively simple things. You know, individually and collectively, those are things that we are absolutely in control of. What the opposition do and how we react to the opposition, you know, those are those are different things. But, um, you know, I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it last night. And, you know, um, I'm sure Freddie's as worried as, as anybody else about about what he saw on the pitch last night. Um, yeah, because listening to him after the Norwich match, uh, he seemed to have a fairly decent handle on what our problems were. You know, more so than Emery, he was prepared to be upfront and specific about where he felt we needed to improve. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's had a bit of time to work on that, but clearly it's, it's not been enough to make any kind of impact. And the team are absolutely a mess, really. Mm. I mean, it's... You can stroll through the centre of this Arsenal team with such ease. Uh, it is quite astonishing. Yeah. Uh, and Brighton did it time after time and they, you know, they they got the goal to get them ahead. But, I mean, it wasn't an isolated chance. What did they have? 20 shots over the course of the game, but mm. probably three or four pretty decent opportunities as yeah. far as I could see. I just I have the match on here actually and I'm just sort of watching a bit towards the end of the first half where where Brighton almost go clean through on goal. Um, we lose the ball, comes into somebody in midfield, the ball is bypassed. Um, wow. I mean, Shaka gets back. He's the one who's bypassed with the pass yeah, through the I middle. Remember that incident. He gets back, clears the ball, um, but... The positioning of the two centre halves is unbelievable. I don't know where they're supposed to be. I don't know where Kalasinac is at all. He's not even in shot. Mm. Um, oh, there is that him there? Maybe ambling back a little bit. That would be like him, all right. Um, yeah, I mean you're right. Um, th- this ability to pick Arsenal apart. You know, if you were being cut apart by Lionel Messi or. Yeah. Xavi and Iniesta were playing triangles and then, you know, feeding balls into, you know, top forwards. That's one thing. But when Brighton do it, with all due respect, when it's Brighton, when it's Wolves, when it's Crystal Palace, when it's Southampton, when they have it just as easy, it's it's really, really worrying. And I think what's particularly worrying, James, is that this is a run of fixtures or we, we're in the middle of a run of fixtures which on paper look like games from which we could take points based on the perceived caliber of the opposition and our own assumptions about Arsenal's caliber. Mm. Um, But when you look at what we've got coming up with Man City, with um, Chelsea, with Manchester United in the next two, three weeks. Yep. Even Everton, I mean, even they might get the sort of new coach bounce that we haven't. Um, well, when Mikel Arteta comes in and takes over Everton. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, who knows? Uh, it, it is deeply concerning. This Our fixture list gets much tougher over Christmas. And, you know, throughout this run, I feel like as Arsenal fans collectively, we've all been saying, well, surely it's not going to get any worse. And I look at it now and I really do fear it could get significantly worse. Yeah, I have that fear as well. I have that fear. Do we need to discuss the goals in any great detail? The first one, we didn't win a header from a corner. It was knocked down. We didn't react quickly enough and it was put past 
poor burned Leno. Poor, yeah, poor burned Leno. Poor Leno. I, I mean, the only thing to say about it is the there was a bloke who had the chance to score seconds before and sort of fluffed his lines, and we still didn't clear it or block it. And uh, yeah, I, it, it just was really sort of slack defending mm. from a corner. Um, Arsenal's goal. Uh, was from a corner, wasn't it? And I, uh, it's a. I mean, look, it's a good header from Lacazette. If I'm completely honest, I think there's a bit of sort of luck in it too. Um, it's. It reminds me of Olivier Giroud's scorpion goal. It's sort of one of those that you sort of hit and you hope, but it drops in. Um, yeah, which is great. Look, fair play. It's a good header. I kind of was worried a little bit that Kolasinac going for it might rule it out because he yeah. might have been offside. Or, yeah, well, I yeah. think he was offside, but he yeah. didn't touch it. Yeah, um, and, but like... Could yeah, that- but obviously the goalkeeper might not have reacted that way if he were not there. Mm. So maybe we got away with that, especially with VAR, you know, in the game. You thought maybe there was a chance that would get overturned. David Luiz, of course, scored. I thought it was a good goal and then that was overturned. Then you saw the replay. Why yeah. did it take... 60 seconds I have no idea to overrule that goal this was not marginal we're not looking at armpits here we're looking at a guy who's standing you know two yards mm. offside and it still took VAR you know the the best part of a minute to to disallow it you know you yeah. only needed to look at one replay to know that it was not going to count um uh, and you know that I, I mean that was Freddie was very keen to impress on everybody after the match that that 20 minute spell after half time was Arsenal's good spell. Mm. Um, you know, they brought Pepe on. Mm. It worked. It was a bit better. Yeah, it was a bit better. But, you know, is this kind of what we're reduced to now? Like, that 20-minute spell was not bad. That 20-minute spell at the start of the Norwich game before we conceded was was not bad. You know, this is not about controlling 90 minutes or playing well for 90 minutes. What we're looking for is we're looking for brief brief spells in games I'm just looking at it here again wow wow Socrates you're a bad defender um yeah I agree with you and I think you know even though we were livelier in that 20 minutes I'm not sure we created a vast amount um and and, no and then we got into that part of the game that I think we've seen so many times this season where it's just sort of a bit of a shootout where it just becomes end-to-end and, you know, we're trying to get a chance at one end and generally failing and then they break on us and take us apart and they might have scored before they did when they eventually got their goal. I mean, it's a good header, but he's he's completely free to do it. You know, mm. he hasn't really got to get across anybody. Uh, they missed an absolute golden opportunity I think yeah. shortly before that where they headed one down inside the box and the guy could have put it away I mean yeah it's um, more of the same more of the same it is absolutely that more of the same mm. and I mean you know, if, 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 what I was going to say is should we be should we be so surprised that you know the team that was playing like this under Unai Emery is still playing like this no I don't think so I was going to ask you the same thing I mean you know, is it realistic for a team that has been so poor for so long to immediately find their feet again, find their confidence, find form, find, you know, the, the ability to um, to play um, 
in some kind of cohesive way. I'm not sure that it is. Um, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that Freddie has the experience to turn it around that quickly. Which isn't to say he might. Um, he won't turn it around, or he can. Uh, he's never going to make it better. He might well do, but I think you know the longer it goes on, the the more pressing it makes the decision for for you know those above, and we'll come to those above. I mean, I think at this point, at this point, I wonder if the fact that our Premier League season is basically over gives them a bit more time mm. to make a decision. Because, look, top four is well and truly out of the question. We could potentially finish in the top six if we go on a run, but, um, you know, that I think is being optimistic as well. Where this season comes back to life for us is the Europa League when mm-hmm. that kicks off again next, what, February? When is the knockout stages? I guess they begin in sort of mid-February, something like that. Yeah. That's what we have to start planning for, I think, because, look, we have to turn it around domestically. And we're not going to be able to achieve anything in the Europa League unless we do find some form in, in the Premier League. But if if what's left of our season depends entirely, almost entirely anyway, on the Europa League then the decision doesn't have to be taken now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, sorry, I was just thinking, trying to remember if it was Middlesbrough who got to Europa League final <coughs> and were relegated in the same season. Um, been. But <laughs> or was it Fulham? Yeah, I think maybe both, actually, but I'm not sure. Uh, maybe Fulham were better than that that year. I don't know. I, I, um, I agree, and I've thought for a while, Europa League will sort of take over from the Premier League as our priority competition in the second half of the season, which is a little bit depressing, but uh, it's it's a case of necessity. Mm. I suppose when I think about it uh, and what what all this means regarding a new managerial appointment, there are sort of two obvious schools of thought to me. And one is, well, the season, at least domestically, is completely done. Um Maybe we have to, maybe it's worth waiting uh, and getting the right guy in the summer if that's when the right guy is available and kind of almost writing off the next six months Mm. uh, and hoping that we have enough to uh, not see us dragged into a relegation scrap, which I do think as much as I am worried remains the likelihood. Um, The other way of thinking about it is this is so bad that it desperately needs to be arrested. Uh, And honestly, I'm not really sure which of those feels more pertinent. Yeah, I know. It's the difficulty of who's available. I was, um, you know, um, talking about Rafa Benitez again in the blog today, but I I read um, that he's got a £23 million release clause or €23 million release clause with his Chinese club. So we can pretty confidently rule that one out. Um, If you go for option one, if you Mm -hmm. go for option one, which is you sort of let it go on for a little while or you, you, you make the assessment that the domestic season is done. What way do you approach it then in terms of team selection? Do you say, right, that's it. We are, from this point on, in everything that we do, building 
for the future. Thus, we are going to go all in on young players, perhaps, and use it to give them the experience that they might need to develop into players that we could use and bring in to be first-team players for, for years ahead? Or or I mean, do you guess- just kind of stick with the stick with the guys who who aren't really doing it? I guess you have to do the kids thing. I mean, one thing that keeps coming to my mind at the moment is I think back to when we bought Abemiang and Mkhitaryan and Socrates and we gave Ozil a new deal. And there was a lot of talk of how Arsenal had ad- adopted a bit of a win-now strategy. You know, that we had bought in a f- number of players and given a new deal to a player who was sort of 29, 30. And there was a clear sense of, well, there, there needs to be a short-term focus to get us back into the Champions League by yeah. bringing in these players who are proven and experienced. That has already failed, I would say. That whole project has been a failure. Um, and, you know, that's not to say all those players have been terrible. I know Aubameyang scored loads of goals. But the sort of gamble of we'll bring in a guy who's 28, 29 and maximise the most out of him for the next two or three years and it will be what drags us back into contention, that hasn't worked really as a plan. And already I look at it and go, well, what what is the point in persisting with it because well because he scores all the goals <laughs> if yeah, you're talking no, about Aubameyang uh, specifically but the, yeah yeah but I, I sort of mean uh, that whole recruitment strategy of that period I know that it was t- also tallied with some younger players who have maybe fared a little bit better on average but yeah I, I, I do suddenly think well mm. what do we do I mean and yeah, the Aubameyang question becomes really interesting because I, I completely accept that he has scored all the goals. But if you're in a situation where you're like, well, we are a mid-table team, we have to rebuild, and someone offers you your money back for Aubameyang... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, that becomes a really difficult question. Yeah, well, look, here's where I was going to go with a couple of things, right? Because I want to talk about Raul Sanyahi in a few minutes, but I do want to talk about the players because, you know, I was um, pointing fingers last night at, at um, higher-ups and people were saying to me, look, it's the players. It is mm. entirely the players. And I accept that we have got uh, an imbalanced team. We've got some really poor players. Um, and it got me thinking about, recruitment in general um, and when you make a signing you sort of immediately well I do anyway I tend to go well we've bought him therefore he must be really good it's a mm-hmm. kind of default thing that I have in my mind apart from when we bring in some somebody like Sylvester yeah. or something like that where I go what? Um but, you know, I, I like to think the most of the signings that we have. And I think most people do because it's a new player coming in. But I'm looking at what we did this summer and, and the recruitment. And this will come back to Sanyahi in a minute, right? But the recruitment um, this summer, Pepe struggling, it's fair to say. Again, not writing him off, but struggling. Um, Kieran Tierney not starting. Mm-hmm. Louise has been... Really poor. Danny Ceballos had a really good game against Burnley. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Right? Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, 
Really promising signing. Done fan- fantastic things in the Europa League. Very exciting. I like that player. And then you go back to last season. Um, and Lucas Torreira. By the way, you didn't go mention on. Nicola Pepe, I believe. I did. I said of... Pepe is struggling, didn't I? He's oh, not okay. starting. Right, sorry. I think I did anyway. If not, I meant to. He was the first one. <laughs> maybe you did. Maybe you did. Maybe I didn't hear it. I think that's what was the first name I, I uh, mentioned. But we go to last season. Torreira struggling to be the player we want him to be. Mm-hmm. Lichsteiner was a poor signing. Genduzzi, decent. Socrates, very poor this season in particular. Bernd Leno, excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So... Of our last 10 signings, one of them has been excellent in no small part because of the fact what's in front of him is just um, horrendous and leaves him open to bombardment where he is having to make save after save after save. The shell shock look on his face after that first goal went in, you know. Um, Can I add something to your go on, list, yeah. by the way? Yeah. Between those two summer transfer windows was a January transfer window in which mm. Arsenal didn't buy anybody yes. to replace three players with season-ending injuries. Yes. And the one signing they did make was the loan signing of Denis Suarez, Who, which yeah. was a disaster. It was a disaster. I read, you know, something in the last week or two anyway about, it, you know, the injury that he suffered. And I think that played a significant part in it. Nevertheless... You know, it, it was a signing that, that did not work out. You go back then to the previous January when we brought in Aubameyang, and there's no question Aubameyang has been, you know, an effective uh, player for us, scored lots and lots of goals, um, and you shudder to think where we'd be without those goals. But Mkhitaryan um, was a poor signing and a, mm-hmm. and a poor fit. Um, we had Lacazette, who's been, you know, who's been good. I think he's going through a very difficult time at the moment. I, I don't think... The fact that himself and Obama Yang are mates is good enough reason to play them together because I don't think they're uh, they're good mates, not necessarily a good partnership, right? And then when you look at the money that we've spent, Shaka, Mustafi, Kolasinac, Perez, uh, Mavropanos, I know he's a young player, so maybe it's harsh to throw him in there, Czech, Elmeni, like a, a list of underwhelming signings going back to to twenty fifteen. And I think we have to ask some serious questions about our recruitment, about the people making decisions um when it comes to recruitment, about the way that we identify players and the way that we recruit. Um it, you know, stat DNA is this thing that everybody holds up as, uh, you know, uh, some kind of trophy for Arsenal. But I've yet to see what it does for us that is in any way beneficial, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, um, transfer business, you know, it's fucking malware. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah, all those signings, mm. you know, that you listed there do look questionable now and actually when you look at the summer I mean we really celebrated the summer and I do think for balance it's worth mentioning that you know Mm -hmm. we most people let's put it like that felt that that was a successful transfer window but when you look at the impact those players have made it is negligible Uh, 
And, yeah. I, and, I, and on the Tierney thing, by the way, this is just my observation, but watching the game last night, I saw the Brighton's right-sided midfielder go past him twice in about five minutes. And I, I think Tierney has been really exciting going forward. But defensively, sometimes he looks like a player who is used to playing in Scottish football where he completely dominates the opposition. Mm. Um yeah, and, I mean, that you know, be... maybe that's natural. There's an adaptation there for yeah. him, and we've got to see if he can cut it at this level. But you know, Sabios. I mean, for Sabios at the moment, read Denis Suarez. I mean, it's it's almost nothing. Yeah. that he's offered. So, like, uh, lest we be accused of revisionism or something like that, because that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, right? You know, you're right to point out that in the summer we were confident and we were optimistic and reinvigorated by the transfer business that we did because I think in part we all think the best of signings. As I said earlier, we looked at the players and we we, we immediately thought, what is the maximum that they are going to bring us? And if they give us that maximum, then things are going to be great. Mm-hmm. And it was the same with Emery when he took over. Overwhelmingly, for the for the very large part, his arrival was welcomed. It was mm-hmm. welcomed. But over time you realise, okay, my expectation level for this is not being met. And that's not because you have overly high expectations either. Nobody was saying we should go and win the Premier League or even compete for the Premier League. I think what we saw, what we wanted last season was a team that that could um, get back into the top four, which is what we should have had, but didn't. And that's you know that's a discussion we've had time and time again mm. but but when when you've expressed an opinion on something and then 5 months down the line your opinion changes it's not because you're flip-flopping or it's not because you're being a revisionist it's because of what you're seeing it's you, evidence based it's yeah. evidence you're seeing things which have changed your mind. It's like meeting somebody for the first time and thinking, that's a really nice guy. And then as you get to know them, you realize he's a fucking asshole. And it takes mm-hmm. time for that to happen. So that's kind of where we are with the signing. So this is where I want to come on to, to Raul Senyehi. Because Senyehi was lauded during this summer as the guy who was getting things done. He was bringing these players in and Don Raul and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. What do we make of him now? And let's look at it from the point of view of Sven Mislintat leaving and Sanyehi taking power. I had a look at this. Mislintat left on the 8th of February, but was pretty much sidelined before that. But the 8th of February is a marker that we have for Sanyehi taking full control of football matters at Arsenal as the head of football. Mm. So... um, Oh, one sec, James. Can I just uh, answer this phone call? Yeah. about that. No worries. Just getting some wood delivered. Of course. So where was it? Anyway, look, um, I looked at it. We played 22 games 
It's quite uh, sym- symmetrical here, actually. We played 22 games after Mislintat left last season. Right. Won 13, drew two, lost six. Mm-hmm. This season, we have played 22, won eight, drawn nine, lost five. Mm-hmm. So can we safely say that since Sanyehi has taken over as the guy driving the football side of Arsenal, he has made it worse. From a results point of view, certainly. I mean, you know, that's irrefutable, I think. Because we're not... It's it's no longer on the manager now. When, when signings don't work, it's not like, well, this is another Wenger poor signing or whatever it is. This is... You know, this is a reflection of the business that the Football Executive com- Committee and Raul Sanyahi, as head of football, have done. So they're the ones with whom the responsibility lies for A, recruitment, B, performance on the pitch, the decisions that they make in terms of um, everything else. I, I think, I think Sanyahi, if we're going to be critical of Unai Emery, which we were, I think we also have to look upstairs at Sanye for the decisions that he's made and for the for the for his job, his performance level in his job as head of football is just as bad as Emery's was as a coach. Mm. Well, I think the buck has to stop somewhere. Uh, and mm. you know, I do feel a little bit like in the midst of this crisis, you know, we vacillate between it's Unai Emery's fault or it's the players' fault or it's Raul fault. You know, I feel like we we keep shifting target um, and that's a bit confusing, I think. It's Maybe, like, what's but like, the real problem? Sure, sure. But don't you have to, like, have a holistic view of it? You know, yes. like, we can go above it again because we can talk about the Cronkies and we can talk about KSE and, and the fact that, okay, they are more involved now. Yeah. They are. And we view that as a positive thing. And maybe, you know, that Josh will look at things and look at the way the club is being run and look at the, the results and the performances under Sanyehi's stewardship as director of football and think, OK, well, that's that's not great. Um, you know, people talk about the, the Cronkies and KSE. Well, the way they run the club, you know, they're not football experts. They're not experts in, in Premier League or, you know, anything like it. They recognize that. Therefore, they put other people in charge to run that side of, you know, the club. Mm-hmm. And that seems a not unreasonable approach to take. Like, I'm not going to go in and start telling anyone how to run their American football team because I don't have a fucking clue, right? Sure. Um, which isn't to say, I'm not saying I know exactly how to run a football club. I'm just sort of giving that counter argument. Mm-hmm. But that only works if the people that you put in there to do the job are good at the job. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I, I say I think the buck does have to stop somewhere. I mean, you know, ultimately, I think Raul is the head of football. He's responsible for these decisions. I just, I, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but I look at, say, a signing like Pepe, for example. I know we can say, oh, we were excited at the time, but I think anybody objectively would look at that and go, that was a good deal for Arsenal to do it was a good player for them to get um was the it, fact that yeah. so many players have come in and it's not worked 
yes, it's possible that that is entirely the recruitment, but I also think that must tell you something about the environment as well that they're coming into, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is it the kind of environment that lacks that lacks the sort of ruthlessness that we see at other clubs? So Carlo Ancelotti wins the double for Chelsea and gets sacked the next mm. season. Uh, Sarri gets Chelsea into the top four and wins the Europa League, gets sacked. I'm not saying the Chelsea model is the one that we should, we should um, follow or anything like it, but I'm just saying that, you know... For me, and again, it's it's hindsight and everything else. Uh, but I've I've said this to you before. I think Emery was very lucky to keep his job mm. at the end of last season. And I wonder if, you know, at a club where there was that that real determination, that real ruthlessness to be um, as good as we possibly could be, to to realise the ambitions that they say that they have for the football club, that tough decisions get made. And maybe it would have been a bit harsh. And maybe people would have said, you know what? It's really um, it's really unfair on Unai Emery that Arsenal have sacked him after only one season. And, they, you know, the injuries and he didn't get a player, in, you know, players in January to replace all those players, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if we'd done that and brought in a coach that was at this moment in time uh, steering this team towards the top four, nobody would give two shits well, that, about that it. decision uh, in Unai Emery. What was the guy, who was the guy at Southampton when they brought, when, was it when they brought in Pochettino? They brought in Pochettino. Uh, yeah, it was the guy who read the poetry. Uh, what was his name? Nigel Adkins. Nigel Adkins, And yeah. he was doing a really good job there and everyone said, wow, that's so harsh from Southampton. That guy was doing a great job and they brought in this guy? Who's this guy? And all of a sudden... Nobody gives a shit about Nigel Atkins, you know? And and that's that I tried to write about this last night, but that is leadership. And and what I see when I look at Arsenal, I actually you know, Arsenal fans are sort of saying are quite unhappy, but I actually think I think for the most part the club is sort of giving us what we want. You know, when when we wanted signings in the summer, they came. When we wanted Emery out, they came. Now granted, all these things happened a bit late. There's kind of a delay where we where the club sort of stumble around in pursuit of fan sentiment. But for the most part, when we ask for something, we do get it. Mm. If we want Mesut Ozil out the team, it happens. If we want him back in, it happens. If we want Mustafi out, it happens. You know, if we want Shaka out, if we want him removed as captain, it does happen. But that speaks to me to a club that is sort of just blowing in the wind. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you think about... I mean, again, to hark back to it, the appointment of Arsene Wenger, something that no fan would have asked for. No Southampton fan wanted Pochettino. You know, good leadership isn't about giving us what we want. It's about doing something that shows that you know better and that you have a plan. Mm. And that that's what Arsenal desperately, desperately lack. And it, it's it's very, very frustrating because you get into the situation where I, I imagine people like Vinay and Raul feel frustrated they're like well we're giving you I don't understand we're trying to do the things that you are unhappy about we're trying to meet those demands but that isn't actually what fans want fans actually want to support people who they think know better I genuinely believe that in that you know Arsene Wenger Arsene knows 
People love that. Show us that you have a plan, that you have a vision that mm. you can implement rather than being reactive to the environment and reacting too slow. And that's, you know, that's where what Rousseau's test is now. He has to make a managerial appointment that goes a long way towards fixing this and he has to live or die by that. You know, I think mm. I think that is the sort of saloon that he is in now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the last chance saloon as well. Mm. Yeah, and don't fucking... Sorry to swear. Please <laughs> swear. Don't fucking go for, like, someone because they've got Arsenal DNA or because, you know, the fans don't want this or they don't want that. Make a decision that you think is the right thing for this football club and follow that plan. Mm. And if it means binning off some of the players because they don't fit, bin them off. You know, when you look at the recruitment, the one thing I definitely think is that it's like we've been buying players for three different teams. You know, uh, Clive of the Arsenal Vision podcast did a great thread about this on Twitter where he went through the squad and went through the signings and was like, well, this kind of player is suited to this kind of football. And this guy, you know, this guy's a possession guy. This guy's a counter-attack guy. It's not coherent mm. commit to something commit to a direction because we we have no direction right now we are just in free fall commit to a direction appoint a manager who is the right guy to implement that and get him the players to do it and if it fails it fails and you pay with your job because you're making the football decisions and they haven't worked but at least do something so it's like we can be make an assessment on what it is you're trying to do Yes, James. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, I make the, I think the key point that you make there is make the right decision for the football club and not for your agent mates. Well, yeah. And not to save your own job because, you know, I guess it's, it's one of those things where he probably is thinking, well, my job could be on the line here. Do I go safe? Do I, do I take a risk? You know, it's it's a difficult position for him to be in, but but they they do they have to sit down and strategize and think about what it is that they want Arsenal to be and how it is they want to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And this is football, and fans will judge you on results. You know, KSE might judge them on turnover, which will be falling all the time. I imagine, by the way, especially if we don't make any kind of European competition next season. But yeah. fans will judge you on results, and like who who would Arsenal fans? not want to be appointed as manager. I don't know. Sean Dyche, say. If Rousseau appoints Sean Dyche and he takes us into the top four and the Champions League and the football is better, people will think Raul is a god. You know, if results come, everything will follow. But that is king. And as long as we don't win games, we are failing. Because mm. that is what we're here to do. I don't have much to add to that. Apart from, like, if Raul Senyahi hired Sean Dyche and he got us into the top four, I'd I'd question what's going on in the fucking no, world. Of course. Because- uh, but, uh, yeah, but I just mean, uh, I, I almost will them to do something I don't expect. Yeah, don't... Yeah, you're just right. Don't do what fans are necessarily clamoring for because, you know, there is... Um, which isn't to dismiss fans, by the way, but there is such a breadth 
and yeah. variance of opinion about who we should get in. You know, you put 10 Arsenal fans in a room and you might not find two who are agreeing with with each other about, you know, who's going to come in. Someone want Vieira, someone want Ancelotti, someone want Arteta, someone will want, um, I don't know, who Brendan Rodgers. You know, there is... There is um, there's no point in in trying to make decisions based on what you think will keep fans happy. That's not the right way to mm. to 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 run a football club, to pick a team, or anything like that. So, and also we're sort of we're kind of being mugged off in that because of we care to you and all the fan unrest. I feel like KSC and the club have sort of moved into a position where they're kind of being a bit more nice <laughs> to us. You know, they are saying more of the right things uh, and there is a almost a, 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 an eagerness to placate the yeah. unruly natives. And uh, that is all a red herring. It's all a red herring. The only thing that really matters is results. Mm. And and Eve, do you know what? Even these kind of ideas of like we want entertaining football, we want to play the Arsenal way. If we were winning and it wasn't pretty, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that would hold true. I just think you're a football club, you're here to win football matches. If if Josh and Vinay and Raul behaved or seemed like absolute dicks, I wouldn't want to know. I wouldn't care if they were winning the games at mm. the moment. I, I, you know, like, I don't know, David Dean. I don't know, David Dean. I don't have uh, an assessment on his personality, but I know that he was pretty good at his job. And I would like to be able to say the same for the people running the football club now. Well, time will tell whether or not they're going to uh, change people's opinions of them and become the heroes we all need. <laughs> yeah. But we'll uh, find uh, out soon enough. And it's really tough. You know, misery loves a bad owner because it's bloody hard to change it. You know, it's like um, you, you can you can worry about everything beneath it, but ultimately you know yeah. something fundamental probably isn't going to shift. Um and that makes it hard. But we have to sort of take, to an extent, Casey, at their word, that the people making these decisions are the executives. And I just really want them to show courage and conviction in their appointment and what they do. And if it means that they wait for six months and it gets worse before it gets better and they're prepared to hold their ground and hold their nerve and make that decision because they think in the long term it will be right, so be it. But they will be judged by what happens. That's that, you know, And that's their job. The manager gets judged if there are bad results. Well, look, we haven't got a manager anymore. We've got a head coach. The closest thing we've got to someone managing the club is a head of football. So ultimately, you know, he is going to be accountable. Mm. OK, well, look, I think on that note, we should leave it there for part one. We will, as ever, come back in part two with your questions and more right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Just before we get in the questions, James, a couple of things. Mm. I got to say thanks to Andy Reefman, who sent, who reminded me of this bit from Arsecast Extra number 295, um, which was recorded during the summer. We were talking about Edu and how much um, we needed Edu to be good. So I'm just going to play this little clip. Come on, Edu. Small I mean, genuinely, task. the man's got to be sensational at his job. He's got to be sensational at it. Wow. Yeah. And he's never done it before. So. <laughs> Here's my no, prediction. I think he has. I think he did it for career. Do you want a prediction? Uh, yeah, let's have it. Do you want he, a prediction? He walks out, he walks out after no, six months. No, I, I feel like within a year, within a year of recording this little mm. snippet. I'll put tweets something saying hashtag Edu out. No, either Freddie Jumberg or Patrick Vieira will be the manager of Arsenal. There's my okay. prediction. There you go. There you go. Sometimes we get things right. Sometimes. Does it count, though, because he's the interim? Well, yeah, I think it does count, but I think we might have imagined it feeling slightly better than it does at the mm. time. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and incredible, isn't it, that in all these discussions of, <clears throat> sorry, the executive team and who needs to... <clears throat> Sorry, who needs to step up and who needs to take responsibility? We haven't mentioned Eddie. Mm. It's true. We just don't know what he does. And I, I spoke with Nick Ames about this on the, the Arsecast. I put out a little bonus extra Arsecast this week and it was sort of a bit surprising that we haven't really had much clarity from Edu and about what it is um, that he does. Maybe over the coming weeks we'll we'll get a better idea of that because I do think as the technical director of the club, you know, he doesn't have to be front and centre in the media, but it would be good to have an idea about what, you know, what his job is and what his job remit is. Uh, I see your voice is uh, obviously going from uh, your, your, your TV appearance last night on yeah well that panned out well um, how was it uh i mean it was live tv i mean you know just lots of people messaging me saying a why aren't you dressed smarter and b why are you so tall <laughs> why so, why are you so tall be shorter <laughs> yeah i mean i just i'm sorry that i keep defying expectations in that way mm. but uh yes it was absolutely fine i got to wear a little amazon prime uh, pin badge oh, because oh, nice. um, 
you know, I love to support conglomerates that don't pay tax. Yeah, I was asked to do a bit of a feature for the uh, Amazon coverage and I turned it down because, you know, I find their their complete uh, avoidance of all tax um, problematic. Yeah. Did you watch the coverage on Amazon? No, we didn't have Amazon Prime in Ireland. We had it on a channel called Premier Sports where we had Liam Brady... Um, John Giles and Eamon Dunphy, hosted by a, a man called Ivan Yates, who's a, a failed politician and current radio presenter. I was actually on the radio with him a while back, and he said, Andrew Mangan from Arsblog. He's going, why would you call What's Arsblog? I remember yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, anyway, that guy, Liam Brady, I have to tell you, got well and truly stuck in to Mesut Ozil. Now, in a big way. Yeah. In a big way. He I'd shouldn't be, be playing. He shouldn't that. be playing for Arsenal, is what he said. Wow. Yeah. I, I, hopefully, someone somewhere can. Uh, There's clips put... somewhere. Oh, really? um, let me just see if you. F- uh, Stuart Sherry on Twitter um, has these clips. He is at Stuart Sherry, um, and he has the clips from from last night. I mean, it's only interesting, really, because, well, it's interesting for lots of reasons. It's Liam Brady, you listen when he talks, but, you know, he's someone who has been, is probably still quite close with the club in some respects. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, Meza Ozil did not have a good night, let's say. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. I don't think anybody did. Um, he did have that nice ball for Louise to score the offside goal from, and true, it was his true. corner from Gold's which corner. The, So he got an assist. Um, but, you yeah. know. Again, we come back to this individual assessment thing, and Ozil is now, what, 30, 31? So, uh, yeah, not, the, not yeah. the future. No, but equally, uh, not someone they're able to consign to the past. I mean, I, one would think that that's something they've been trying to do and haven't managed it. So, yeah. um, bit of an issue there. Anyway, questions. Questions. I, I, can I start? Yeah, of course. Um George Onslow, who's at G Onslow 10, says, After the final whistle yesterday, my overwhelming feeling was not one of anger or frustration as it has been in recent times. It was a feeling of sadness for the players. They seem so burdened. What can we do as fans to help them improve? Hmm. That's more generous, I would say, than most fans' reactions at the full-time whistle yesterday. Yeah. Uh, But I think there's truth in it. You know, I'm sure... I wasn't watching the TV coverage because I was in the stadium, but someone showed, told me that the uh, the TV coverage cut to Hector Bellerin and he was just sort of staring into space with a bit of a sad, lost look. At the end. Yeah, yeah, at full time. And I, I'm sure they feel... I mean, his post-match interview was pretty interesting. I mean, it shows sometimes what a lack of a handle on the way the game's actually gone a player can have because he was saying, you know, it felt like we just did everything except score. We created so many chances. It just mm. felt like we didn't get the breaks. And of course, you know, that's not really borne out statistically, but yeah, I they think, must... Yeah. Go on. No, I'm just going to say that sometimes a player's... Perception. Perception of a game is often at odds with the reality. Um, you know, that, you know, with hindsight and looking at it again, they might they might change their opinion. But while oh, you're definitely. in there, you're, you're, you're sort of looking for the positives from your performance and saying, well, you know, what, what could we have done, you know, a bit better, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, oh, it's, I, I don't intend to criticise. No, 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 no. But, no, no. but he, he did look, he did look absolutely 
shell-shocked. Yeah, shell-shocked, bewildered a little bit after the, you know, in the BT or the interview on TV. And it was like, I'm, I'm lost for words, he said. Um, and I think we can all understand that to an extent because, you know, I, I, I would say that at times the effort wasn't quite as 100% as it should have been. I think, you know, you could look across the team and, and point to various moments where individuals could have done more. But I don't think it was one of those... It wasn't a performance where you felt like they didn't care. Mm. You know, where they you felt like they wanted to do well. They seemed to be behind Freddie. I mean, you know, if they're not, then we've got a really big problem. So I, I don't think that's the case. I think they do want to do well. I think Freddie said that himself afterwards. There's a, a desire to do well, but, you know, for various reasons, it's just not happening. I, I think, <clears throat> honestly, I think that the best chance of creating an environment in which the players are happier and the fans are happier too is... And I, I, it's not a thing that we should feel particularly proud about, but it's kind of really shifting our expectations. I, I do think that for this season, I mean, like you say, the top four is gone. Uh, there's no chance of us making the top four this mm. season. I don't realistically think, you know, it's going to get much worse than about 12th. I'm sure people at home will be saying I'm foolish in that regard, but... That's bad enough, let me tell you, for us to be ensconced in mid-table, but I think that is probably where, where we're going to be. Um, I kind of think we just have to go... I mean, maybe it's not realistic, but, but you know, almost like, well, look, this is almost free hit time in the Premier League and Freddie's learning the job. We're going to put a bunch of kids in who are learning the job. It means we're going to lose some games. We're going to drop some points, but we're just going to back them because they're Arsenal mm. and that's what we do. I mean, I, I don't really see another way w without, you know, some things dramatically improving all of a sudden to go about it. Yeah. But do you think people can do that? I mean, it's hard, you know, every drop point still hurts. Yeah, of course. It is hard. Even if you are uh, capable of lowering your expectations... I'm not sure that it also tallies with the idea of being ambitious and being as good as you can be, if you like. Like, if we were getting... If we just lost to Liverpool, City, United, Chelsea, mm. whatever, you can say, well, look, maybe we're not as good as those teams and we can we can work to, to catch them up and to, to get back there. But, you know, we've just lost to Brighton... Um, We've lost or we've dropped points, you know, to teams like Wolves and Palace and Southampton and, and what have you. So, mm. you know, you can you can lower your expectations to the point where you think, OK, well, maybe we can't get anything more from those games. But it doesn't make you feel any less angry because of, you know, the perceived stature of this football club and what everybody expects. There was a level of expectation. There was a bar set very, very high that a lot of people have grown up with and, and um, you know, it contributed in no small part to the frustration of Arsene Wenger doing for many years what we would pay an absolute fortune for a coach to do right now and that's just get us back into the top four. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, 
it is interesting, isn't it, to think about all those years when that was the baseline. Yeah. Uh, and how how that has shifted now. Um, yes. So the fluke asks, and a few people asked this. I touched on it then on Twitter. Is there a real fear of relegation? I'm terrified of this possibility. Um. No, I don't think so. I think there's there's too much in the squad to get properly dragged down into it. I, you know, a mid-table finish certainly. But what's the relegation cut-off point 40 points, something like that? So mm. are we we're on yeah. course. We're on course to make it. Just, just about. I think at some point we have to start winning some games again. It's just you know, it's it's inevitable. I think we will. I don't think it is a fear, but you know, when you're sitting five points above the relegation zone, if we were here in March, I'd be worried. I'd be worried. But right now, I think there are too many games, and there's too much time to to make things. Um, marginally better or sufficiently better to avoid relegation, which are words I did not think I would be saying on this podcast when I, when this season began. No. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about it is quite extraordinary. I don't... Yeah, as I said, I don't yeah. really think it's going to happen. But, I mean, honestly, I think come the start of January, after the run of games we've got coming up, I think we might be talking about it again, unless something... Mm. really dramatically changes. Champ Maninoff, who's at Cap'n Champ Chapman. Um, he's Chap Maninoff, yeah, on Twitter. He says, after last night's dreadful display, what do you think are the best or most realistic outcomes for this season? This isn't just restricted to league position and other competitions. It can also include the state of the board, managers, transfer investment, etc. The best outcomes is this, sorry. Well, m best or most realistic. So give us your your best outcome and your what you think is probably the most realistic outcome. The best outcome is that we win two cups, uh, the FA Cup and the Europa League, and we go back into the Champions League that way. That is the best possible outcome if you're looking at every Does, you know, remote possibility. Sorry to interrupt. Does the FA Cup winner go into Europa League? Uh, yes, they do. Right. So even if our domestic season is in the shitter, there is a way back into Europe via two cup competitions. Yeah, yeah. So that I think they are going to swiftly become the focus. Mm. Um, that's, I think, the best scenario. What's realistic? Uh, it's really difficult to say. I mean, honestly, at this point, anything that makes me think that we could take next season seriously, I would accept, I, I would say, like, you know, that would be fantastic. So, you know, even if it's just in the last few months of the season, we start to build a bit of momentum or a bit of a run that makes me think, okay, at least next season we could have a real go at a proper campaign rather than what mm. we produced this year. Um I'm not sure if I have much faith in that, though. Mm. What do you think? I can't disagree with your your best, potential best outcomes is yeah. winning one or both of those cups. 
Um, hmm. Most realistic, I think. I just think we're going to muddle through. We might get a quarterfinal, semifinal in one of the cup competitions and we'll finish. I mean, we could finish in the top six or seven still, but I think we're looking at a, a mid-table finish. Yeah, I, I, my gut says we'll be kind of... Eighth to ten. Eighth, yeah. Eighth, maybe. Um, which isn't, you know... Gray. Unless, of course, things do turn around. Yeah, and that can happen. I mean, you know, amidst all this, it is easy to lose sight of the fact that football is mad, isn't it? Yeah. And can change very, very quickly. We have only lost four games in total this season. It feels like a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, Have we drawn a lot of games? Yeah, we've drawn nine. Right. So, um, what are we all complaining about? <laughs> for goodness sake. Talk about our expectations being way too high. Um, mm. Oh, I tell a lie. I'm sorry. We have lost five games. Right. As, yes. Brighton, as Frankfurt, Leicester, Sheffield United and Liverpool. Mm. Um, and, of course, we lost the EFL Cup game on penalties. So that's six if you want to count that. But um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's very hard to say, but... Yeah, it, it is just hard to say, isn't it, what the, what the realistic mm. outcome is. It so much depends. And, and so much of it, for me, does depend on what happens with who's in the dugout. And mm. I mean that in the nicest possible way to Freddie. Like, maybe he finally gets a bit of time working with the players. I mean, I, f I do feel for him, he steps into a nightmare scenario where not only has he got this squad bereft of ideas, bereft of confidence, he's also got a game every few days. You know, he doesn't have a vast amount of time to implement anything and he's got a really difficult fixture list. So it's not ideal for him at all. But maybe he gets things together or maybe somebody else comes in. I mean, when I look at the position the club is in and the team is in, I, I just the lack of leadership and maybe and the lack of leadership within the squad, within the executive. You know, this isn't a squad that, like the Invincibles that could manage themselves or like those Chelsea teams who went to finals with Avram Grant or Di Matteo, whoever mm. it is. They absolutely need someone to lead them, and I think we as a football club need someone to lead them, and it looks like that's going to have to be the person whose job title is officially head coach. And, uh, yeah, I mean, having hoped in that clip, as you heard, for Edu to come in and be absolutely exceptional at his job, I'm now in the position of thinking, well, that's what the manager has yeah. to do. Um, just sort of on that and what might happen in the, the, yeah. the near future, because I think it's going to be very difficult to get a, a manager in in the very short term who's going to say uh, yes to a job where... You've got Man City, you've got Chelsea, you've got the festive period, you've got all that to deal with. Uh, you know, you'd want to be a brave guy coming into this club right now um, and saying yes to that job based on what lies ahead in the next sort of month. There is mm -hmm. a kind of mid-season break uh, this year. I don't know if people are aware of that, but basically what's going to happen is one half of the Premier League 
will play one week and one half will play the other week. And, you know, it means everybody has a two-week gap between games. Um, so you might be looking at that as the potential time to appoint a new manager or maybe just, you know, the far side of Christmas into the new year, et cetera, et cetera. But on the Discord, 1.76 Acres asks, mm. what becomes of January at this point? We have a real dilemma. If we can't extend Lacazette or Aubameyang, do we consider selling them or others before they're more significantly devalued? If we're still fighting in the Europa League... Can we possibly afford to offload anyone who might contribute to a run or do we try to buy our way out of trouble? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I think one of the elements of the Lacazette discussion that is kind of absent about whether or not he's starting games is the fact that he's presumably in some sort of vague contract talks with the club and maybe... You know, maybe that influences the the positioning on him. Um, January, well, we know how Raul feels about January. He showed us last year. Um, so I, 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 I kind of think unless the R word is a real, real prospect, I don't see them trying to fix it mid-season with transfers. Do you? Um... Maybe not, but I do feel like unless something picks up, um, particularly at centre half, we've we've got little choice but to try and improve the squad in January. Mm. Um, it's a good question yeah. or a tongue in cheek question. Maybe it's not tongue in cheek from Barrington, who's at B underscore W four. Who says pick a partnership: Juru and Senderos or Louise and Socrates? Um, I mean, it's not it's, it's not, not an easy, easy choice. No. I think I'd go for the two guys, or at least, you know, I've got um, honest endeavour, um, even if maybe not the same uh, experience. I mean, at this point, they're both uh, they're both heading towards the twilight of their careers, I think, aren't they? Um, yeah, I mean, the David Luiz signing, I think, will go down in the annals of history at Arsenal. Um, you know, it, it is extraordinary that when we needed to replace Laurent Koscielny, and get a centre half to kind of knit our defence together. That's where we ended up. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I was I so worry for poor William Saliba, who's got to step into this next summer and somehow be the guy. Uh, and he'll only be nineteen then. Uh, you know, that's a massive ask. So, yes, yeah, centre half would be very welcome, very welcome indeed if they can do it. I mean, Rob Holding just seems to. Have not be really in contention at the moment. Do we have any insight into why exactly that is? Is it just a sort of a hangover from the from the cruciate injury and, and a, a fitness problem? Um, you know, it's it's not it's not unusual for that to happen to to a player. Um, what mean, about selling players? What about uh, his point about you know maybe Lacazette or Bemiang? I mean, do you think there's any I, risk, I'll say, of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think you can, if you're looking to save your season via the competitions, particularly the Europa League, sell either Aubameyang or Lacazette before the end of the season because mm. they're the only two goal scorers we have in this team, apart from Gabriel Martinelli, who is 18, and we can't heap any pressure on him in that regard. We spoke about this the other day, didn't we? The goals are in such short supply throughout this team that, you know, if there is any hope, and it's slim, and I recognise that. But if there is any hope 
to go all the way in Europe or go all the way in the FA Cup than selling one of Aubameyang or Lacazette, even if it costs you a few quid um, in their transfer value in the summer, doesn't make any sense at all to me. Um, mm. You know, because what, what are you going to do? Are you going to sell one of them and bring in a slightly less experienced, less prolific striker? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I do think they are going to have to do something in the January window when it comes to the defence because when we look at the squad right now, I don't think we have the classic internal solution to the problems that we have. So in the absence of that, what else can they do other than spend some money? I guess it's complicated a bit by the fact that we may not know who the manager is. But but yeah. th- again, that goes back to the head coach situation where it's no longer the head coach who chooses the players. I mean, at other clubs, he comes in, he works with the players that he's given. That's the mm. way that it works. So, Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, the centre-half thing is a massive issue. So, of course, I'd be delighted if they could do anything to mm. alleviate that in the... Uh, in the general window. Let's have this question. This is from uh, Gunranjan on the Discord. And Gunranjan says, the players seem to have been scarred too deep by Unai Emery's negative tactics. They are too low on confidence. I have seen enough in the last two games to think we should give Freddie his deserved run of five to six matches at least to try and bring these players back. There have been flashes of improvement. He might not be picking everybody's favourite lineup, but we should give him fair chance to try and get it all together. It's not going to change overnight. It's criminal to ask, but I think we need to keep patience for the next few games at least. What do you think? Well, I don't think there's any point in being impatient with with Freddie you know we we spoke about it one or two of the decisions you know the team decisions I I think any manager um, is open to question when when it comes to his team selections it doesn't mean by saying I didn't agree with that or I think he could have done this with the team that you're you're you know um, criticizing per se or you want him to to you know be fired immediately or anything like that I, Mm. I genuinely don't know what other choice we have at this moment in time Seriously, I don't know that we have any other choice other than to kind of get behind Freddie, hope that he can um, lift them out of this funk a little bit, bring some of his own personality to the team and hope for better results. Because mm. I, like I said, I don't think there's a manager who's out there right now who's going to come in and take charge of Arsenal versus Man City for his first game. And then play Chelsea a week later and Man Man United a week after that. I just, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tall task, isn't it? Definitely for for anybody. I mean, against Norwich, coming out of that match, I actually had someone who sent me a message saying, "Oh, I felt like uh, the Ask Cast wasn't sort of positive enough about the performance. You know, that maybe we." Our glass was a bit high, 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 high. They saw some green shoots there. Do you see any... Does that run through into the Brighton game for you? Was there any aspect of the performance that you thought, well, at least there's that, you know? Um, Not from the Brighton performance. Mm. Performance? Did I say Brighton performance? I don't know. It wasn't much of a performance anyway. So No, I don't know that there was anything I would take away from the Brighton game and think, okay, we can build on that. I certainly did think that in the first half against Norwich, the way we played and the attitude and the 
the the fact we moved the ball more quickly and played higher up the pitch. I think those were things that, yes, you could build on. Obviously, the second half of Norwich, there was nothing much we could take from that. Um, but, you know, we're coming, we're coming from a kind of scorched earth, so it might take a little while for some green shoots to, to start appearing. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought there were positive signs against Norwich, particularly in the first 20 minutes or so. Less so against Brighton for me. Um, mm. Yeah, this was n- not good. So, yeah, I, I, you know, you're right. We haven't got really a choice but to give Freddie more time. And I, I do want to give him more time. But yeah, it is fri- It is a frightening fixture list. That's all mm. I'll say. John Klopp, who's at John Klopp 1970, says, Hi, as he is clearly the best player in the squad, should Leno play in the Europa League as this is clearly the only way we can save this season? Wow, that is an interesting question. I mean, I think, I do think if our Premier League season continues as it as it does, I think we might see a bit of a flip in terms of the teams that we put out. You know, if we get into that Thursday-Sunday routine, in the, you'd want Leno and Aubameyang in the Europa League more so than the Premier League. Um, and, I, and I think that I can conceivably see that taking place. I mean, Leno as a goalkeeper could probably play all those games, but I think some of the outfield players will be saved for yeah. cup competitions. I think when you get deep into the Europa League and the, the the opposition starts getting better, if you're serious about winning it, you pick your number one goalkeeper. A discussion we've had on this podcast countless times before, haven't we, regarding you know Petr Cech and David Ospina and Szczesny and Ospina and things like that when it came to, to FA Cup finals, which mm. thankfully... Uh, I think we kind of got away with. I'm not sure that Bernd Leno would have made the difference in the Europa League final last season. Um, no. Even though you could make a very strong argument that, you know, as the number one goalkeeper of the club, he should have started that game. But, you know, I think when so much will depend on what we do in the Europa League, um, it's it's okay to give Emmy Martinez the games in the group stages. And if we're playing some lower level European opposition in the first or second knockout round, I think you can take a a calculated risk. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you get somebody good and you get teams that have dropped out of the Champions League and come into the Europa League and, you know, they've got some profile, they've got some stature, they've got good players, then I think you pick your strongest team for the, the tournament and the games that can save your season. And to me, there's no other way of, no other way of doing it. And I think... You know, Emmy Martinez, as well as anybody, would understand that. Yeah, I think so. I think he would. Uh, he would have to, and I'm sure he'll get some game time. You know, in the early rounds of the FA Cup, potentially, or something like that. But Arsenal are in a position where we have to take the wins where we can find them. If that means playing our, our best goalkeeper, then we should absolutely do it. Mm. Um, right. Is it my question? I mean, yeah. the questions I've got are so gloomy that I'm almost loath to go back to them. <laughs> I know, it is. Look, um, in as much as we can't dictate the content of a podcast before a, a football game, you know, mm. we can't also um, dictate the questions that people send to us based on what's been happening, you know? It's, no. it's all out of, our, out of all of our hands. All we can do is react to what's going on. True. Well, what about this? Um, it's a hypothetical from Ben Corbett on Twitter. 
Uh, and Ben says, which of these circumstances would be better? A, to qualify for the Europa League and have a packed schedule next season for the new manager. Or B, finish below the Europa League qualification places, have a less busy schedule, but lose Aubameyang and Lacazette. Jesus. Um, look, I think there are financial considerations that we have to be realistic about that, that Arsenal, you know, earned whatever, £30 million pounds from the Europa League last season, which is small fry compared to the Champions League, as we all know, but it's still £30 million. Pounds. Um, mm. And maybe some of that £30 million, pounds, people might laugh or whatever, could be invested back into, into the team. Um, I don't like the Europa League one bit. No. I don't even think that... Europa League football next season guarantees the presence of Aubameyang and Lacazette in the team anyway. I think without Champions League, they will probably seek to move on. Aubameyang in particular. Yeah. And, I, you know, it really depends on on the coach. Like, you know, if you have a week between every Premier League game to work on training and everything else, that could be beneficial if you've got the right guy in there who can shape and mold a team and get it get it performing again so you could see why there might be a benefit but yeah I think Europa League football because either way we're going to lose at least one of those strikers I'm inclined to agree Um, I I think we need the money let's not forget it also gives us maybe a more well it gives us another potential route back into the Champions League which is the kind of promised land for us at the moment Mm. Um, and if we finish 10th or whatever it is this season and has to go to fourth next year it might be unrealistic um you know if we if we have the Europa League at least we've got another shot at those Champions League places so I think I think we yeah we need that level of European football yeah um even if we don't relish it particularly yeah um all the questions I have are are grim (laughs) they're all grim yeah, I'm trying to Which find isn't to blame the question. No, no, it. not at all, or or to everybody out there. I understand why, and people are looking for answers that you know. I don't know that we can provide. To mm. be perfectly honest, I don't know that we're going to do much more than prolong our misery today if we keep delving into questions that you know only have. Not that they only have negative answers, but we don't have any positive way of answering those things at this moment in time. So, I think unless you have any great objection to it, we might just leave it there for this one. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. We've talked about it, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've talked about it to, to death really over the last few weeks. And this is just unfortunately more of the same. Mm. Um, so I think we've kind of said everything that needs to be said. I mean, listen, the one respite that this festive season provides in football terms, all fans, you know, most fans, let's say, you know, can't help but think the next game might be the one. And I mean, listen, I've said it so many times this season and been wrong. But yeah, maybe it will be. Maybe if we maybe keep it saying it, it'll keep happening. Um, yeah. It'll be on Tuesday, the next Cast Extra, because we're it playing will. West Ham on Monday night. Mm. The Jack Wilshire hat trick game. I know, <laughs> I know. Well, they just got a 
a, a big result, didn't they, at Chelsea? Yeah. They were in a mess before that, but um, they've alleviated the pressure there. So Maybe it's our turn. Maybe it's our turn. Maybe. I mean, it will be sooner or later. We'll get a slice of luck, surely. <laughs> the law of, dangerous words. Yeah, the law of averages um, will, will work for us at some point. Right, well, look, again... Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support um, online and offline. If you're a Patreon member, we really, really appreciate that as well. Um, Have a great weekend. There's no Arsenal to fuck your weekend up. So you can wait till Monday evening for that to happen or not. Fingers crossed not. And maybe Tuesday morning we will have a much more upbeat and positive podcast because we'll have something good to talk about. So until then. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.